Good morning. Being as close to December as we are, we have fully entered the time of year where we are told, even more than normal, exactly what it is that our life needs. You need this, you need that. Advertising is everywhere. It's not like the good old days where um, it was largely just TV adverts and posters. Now in the crazy tech world that we live in, there are scary algorithms all over the place and you can Google one question about kids' football boots and a world of kids' football accessories and boots uh, that every football-obsessed kid needs start to appear everywhere. You look on every device that you have and uh, you can feel like, I don't know, can feel like you just have a conversation with someone and then your adverts on your phone change and it's all a bit scary. I think the jury's out on whether that is actually the case. The theories abound on these things, as you can imagine. Maybe it is, maybe your phone is always listening, that is true, but maybe the algorithms are just that good that they don't actually need, need to hear you say it, they can figure it out with all the other crazy, scary data that they have on you. Anyway, all of that, we are told this is what you need. It's put in front of us more than ever. And yeah, we, most of us have probably been around this world long enough to know that we don't need all these things uh, that we are told we need and that they are not the answers to life's problems, even as we will be dazzled a bit and sucked in to some of it, we will still know that it's not actually gonna be the thing that we need. It's all a bit artificial, I grant. But most people are left, I think, today, left knowing in some way two things. That firstly, there is something that I personally do need that is beyond the, the kind of material and the physical, that I need, there is something I need. And there is something that this world needs. This world has a gap. This dark world needs a source of hope. But most people are naturally and, and understandably looking in the wrong places for that source of hope. Now we are in a Christian church this morning and it will not surprise you to hear that I would suggest that it is Jesus who is the one that we need. That is, every individual needs Jesus and this world needs Jesus. This morning, we are starting a new teaching series where we're going to be working through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and we have titled this series, The King We Need. Matthew uh, is the first book of the New Testament, which is the bit in the Bible that is post-Jesus. And uh, up to this point in the Bible, so throughout the Old Testament, loads of stuff has happened but if you know the Old Testament, if you know your Bible, if you know the story, you know that actually the Old Testament has ended with a lot of things that are still unresolved. It's not a kind of hugely satisfying ending. It's, it's something of a cliffhanger. As in, and, it, and it doesn't at all feel like the story is done because it's not. You get the end of old, the Old Testament and God's people that is Israel, have received loads of promises from God. He said loads of things to them, promised things to them. And they've had good days, but a fair few 
bad days as well. And there remains at the end of the Old Testament a lot of promises that are unfulfilled. And uh, actually the uh, Hebrew Bible, so in the first century, their, their, their Bible would have been in a slightly different order to our Old Testament. It was the same, but in a slightly different order. And the Hebrew Bible would have finished with two chronicles. That was the end. Uh, and, and at that point, at the end of two chronicles, so the end of their Bible, God's people have been overthrown and they've been in exile in Babylon. So it's not a high point at all. It's a low point, really. Um, and they've been in exile there, along with a bunch of other people groups as well. But then Persia has overthrown Babylon uh, and Persia has let all of these people go back to their land, including the Israelites. And uh, then the Hebrew Bible and 2 Chronicles finishes with, with this verse in 36, chapter 36, verse 23. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. So it's not bad. He said they're kind of allowed to go back to the land that they should have had, that they were promised to have, allowed to go back and rebuild the temple where they meet with God. It's not bad, but it's not great. It's not a great ending. And there, again, are loads of things that have been promised but are yet unfinished. And lots of the promises spoke of a person, what they knew as and referred to as a messiah. Promises of a Messiah, a person to come and, and sort it out. But the Jews, and so that's where we get to at the beginning of Matthew, but the Jews, the people of God at the beginning of Matthew, were looking in the wrong places for this Messiah. By now, Rome was in charge and uh, the Israelites were looking for a military leader to come and overthrow Rome. They knew that they needed a source of hope and that military leader and ruler is what they thought that they needed. But throughout this gospel of Matthew, the writer Matthew is keen to make the case that it is Jesus who is in fact the Messiah they have been waiting for and the one they need. And he did come as a ruler and as a king but he came riding on a donkey and not on a chariot. And he did come as a conqueror, but he didn't conquer by killing others, but by dying himself. Jesus was actually the king they needed. And that is a point that Matthew is so keen to make clear throughout his gospel, as we will see. And we will also see through this preaching series that Jesus is not just the king that the people of Israel needed 2,000 years ago. He is the king that we need today and the king that this world needs today. And just as the Jews were often looking in the wrong place for, the, for their source of hope, people today are looking in the wrong place and need to know that Jesus is the king we need. Now the book of Matthew how are we going to go through this? It's, it's a relatively long book, 28 chapters. 
So to preach through it kind of just a little bit at a time would take a long time. Uh, and that's a kind of an admirable and honorable fair thing to do. But we don't feel it's right to, to be preaching through it in that way. So how are we going to do it? The book of Matthew is incredibly well structured and put together. Matthew is a genius. Uh, and there are, there are lots of kind of structures in it. But the clearest thing to see as you kind of scholars look through and figure out the structure of the book there are, is that there are five blocks of teaching, five kind of discourses that, that Jesus gives throughout the course of the book. And in each block, in each teaching bit, Jesus is talking in some way about what kind of king it is that we need and what his kingdom is like. And uh, each teaching block as well comes after a bit of story, a bit of narrative. And so how we're going to work through this preaching series is that we are going to take one week on each bit of story that comes before the teaching block and then one week on each teaching block uh, by way of representation. We're not going to kind of preach the whole chunk of the teaching or the story, but take a little bit of it to represent each thing as we see how it is about the king we need and his, what kind of kingdom he is. So we're, we're going to be moving pretty fast through the book and, and certainly skipping bits. But I hope it will give a good picture of how this book all fits together. So one week on the teaching block and one on the narrative before each teaching block. There's five teaching blocks equals ten. Okay, so ten weeks. But then the gospel starts with the nativity, Christmas story. And so that's before the teaching blocks. And then the gospel ends with the death and the resurrection story, the, the Easter story, either side of those teaching blocks. So we will spend up to Christmas on the nativity. And then when we get to the death and resurrection of Easter in the book of Matthew, it, uh, the death of resurrection, did I say the death and resurrection of Easter? Slow down. The death and resurrection of Jesus in the book of Matthew, it will be Easter. God willing. That's the plan. We'll see how we go um, as we go through it. Um, as, as we see that this book teaches us that the thing we need in our individual lives, all the things that are appealing, appealing to us, but the thing we need in our individual lives and that this world needs is actually a king that we need. It is King Jesus. I'm going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, and I got really just one point to make, and that is what I've already been saying, that Jesus is the one that Israel was waiting for, even if they didn't see it at the time, and many didn't. And as well, Jesus is the king that we need in our lives today, even if many don't see it. He is the king they need. He is the king we need. And it is in and through him that God wants to bless all humanity. One commentator, R.T. France, says, the essential key to all Matthew's theology is that in Jesus, all God's purposes have come to fulfillment. It is all in and through him. And I'm going to be making the case this morning 
by speaking from the genealogy, which is a list of names. And I know you are so excited to be doing that. Um, believe me, when I say there is more to this list than you have probably previously given credit for. Full disclosure though, as we come to it, we're, we're going to be geeking out a bit here um, and getting technical, which is not something we do loads as we always teach the Bible, but not kind of get into the technical stuff that often. But I want to do it. I want to show that this whole book, this whole Bible and the book of Matthew really is an astounding book with a stunning story that is so relevant for you and I. And I want to show that it is all fulfilled and tied up in Jesus and that that is a glorious and beautiful message. So here we go. I may not have convinced you yet, but let's give it a go. I'm going to be uh, reading from uh, Matthew 1, verse 1 up to verse 17, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. It's probably the easiest chunk when it comes to names. We'll see how we go as we keep going. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Isaiah, Isaiah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. If you, I mean, if you've got any kind of kid, you think having a kid soon, you can always be thinking through this, any good names coming out of this? I think Zerubbabel or Zerubbabel, that's, that's a good contender for you, you can have that. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Atsur, Atsur, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eluhud, Eluhud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. There we go. Big whoop, you might say. Well, that's great. That is utterly, there's two to three minutes in my life. I'm not getting back. That is not how we start stories today. In, in the UK today, we, to be honest, we're much more interested in what people do than where they came from. Not really that interested in people's parents, let alone their great, 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 great grandparents. 
it's kind of just not interesting. And you might kind of hear that and maybe recognize some names on that list and think, oh, it's vaguely interesting that Jesus was related to them, I guess. But in the day, this is how stories were started. And a big point is being made here. One, uh, Tom Wright, he, he says of this genealogy, for many cultures, ancient and modern, and certainly in the Jewish world of Matthew's day, this genealogy was the equivalent of a roll of drums, a fanfare of trumpets, and a town crier calling for attention. Any first century Jew would find this family tree both impressive and compelling. Impressive and compelling, that's what it is. This is Matthew, believe it or not, dramatically introducing the overarching point that Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. And all these people have been building up to him, Tom Wright goes on, like a great procession coming down a city street. We watch the figures at the front and the ones in the middle, but all eyes are waiting for the one who comes in the position of greatest honor right at the end. Okay, you think, all right, well, fair enough, if you say so. Let me show you how. And this is where, uh, this is where the geek stuff starts and uh, there's no better way to geek out than to get the Greek out uh, and to talk, okay, what is saying in this? So this, Matthew was originally written um, in Greek and um, there, there's the very beginning of the genealogy, the gospel is saying something to us. Matthew is clear that Jesus' coming in the flesh was a new beginning for Israel and for the world. So the first two words of the book are, this, which um, I mean, may kind of just meaningless shapes to you, uh, maybe. But actually, let me say, you, I reckon you know more Greek than you give yourself credit for, because those words are this, if you kind of transliterate them, says Biblos of Genesis. Biblos of Genesis. And I think you can figure out probably what those words are. So Biblos, Bible and book, there we get it. So book of Genesis. So the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis just means origins. It means beginning. So Matthew is saying straight up with the first two words that this is the new Genesis. This is the new beginning with the entry of Jesus. There's a little starter for you of the geek stuff. It's, it's a mere aperitif. We are just getting started. The genealogy has a very clear and deliberate structure to it. There's, there's three parts, um, which are 14 generations each, and as is kind of pointed out at the end in verse 17, and 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to the exile and from the exile to the Messiah. Now, actually, uh, there are some generations missing in, in the genealogy. And if you read it, it kind of seemed to only be 13 in two of the sections. And it's easy to think, well, Matthew is an idiot. What well, well, a fool. You're kind of just saying that there's four. He's not even done his maths and checked his numbers. It's not the case. It's not fake news, right? It's not um, that he's kind of just trying to lead people with misinformation. It's not a practice that would have been frowned upon in that culture. 
Matthew is making a theological point. He's making a point through it in, in that there is a clear structure. So there's these 14s, but clearly, again, as Matthew makes, in verse, makes the point in verse 1, the key players are Abraham and David in it. Abraham, okay. You've got to stay with me. Who, who's this? Abraham was the one who first received the promises that God made to his people. And who's David? David was Israel's greatest king. And he was the king at Israel's high point, their greatest time. But Israel, the people, the Jews were waiting for the true and better Abraham and the true and better David to come. And Matthew is saying, Jesus is that one. That the promises that were made to Abraham and to David will be truly fulfilled in this Jesus. So those promises, let's look at them. Let's look at the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 verses 2 and 3. God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That happened a bit through Abraham. It will happen properly through the true and better Abraham who has now come. All peoples blessed through him, Jesus. Look at the promise made to David, to Samuel 7 verse 16. God said to him, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That kind of happened with David, but as with every other king, all reigns come to an end in some way, but not for this son of David, not for this true and better David who will be king forever. It has all always been about him. These points are all made through this genealogy. We're still, that's still child's play, right? Let's, let's, let's go deeper. I could go really deep into the numerical value of the name of David, but um, there's not really time. If you want me to, I'd love to talk that through with you another time. The, the point being made, it's all Jesus. Here's my favourite thing about it all, right, as we keep going. Jesus is the fulfilment of the promises made to Abraham and to David and everyone else as well in the Old Testament. But he is also the fulfilment of the whole story of Israel. He is the true and better Israel. This genealogy is Matthew's basic summary of the story of the Old Testament. Kind of going through, you can track the whole story through these names and how God has saved his people. One scholar says, Matthew's genealogy is a resume of salvation history, of God's way with Israel. So Matthew is saying, Jesus is the culmination of this salvation history. And then as Matthew goes through his whole story, his whole book, the life of Jesus will mirror the life of Israel in really amazing and remarkable ways to totally underline the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. Not, not just of the promises and of the prophecies, but of the history and the story itself. As I said, 
earlier, the Hebrew Bible, I'm going to show you this in, in a moment. The Hebrew Bible was in a different order to our Old Testament. And the life of Jesus follows the order of the, the Hebrew Bible. It's called the, the Tanakh or the, the law, the prophets and the writings. Um, and Jesus' life just mirrors it. Check, check this out. So I'll just track the first five chapters of the book of Matthew and show how they track with the history of Israel in ways that are, this is just not just a coincidence, okay? This is more than just a coincidence. So Matthew 1 verse 1, as we've already seen, Biblos Genesos, book of Genesis, so it is in line with the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which is the book of origins, and it's telling the origins of the world, of, of Israel and Matthew 1, 1, the origins of Jesus. Okay, that's, that's fair, all right, it's just, it's the beginning, all right. One, then we've got the genealogy of the son of Abraham. It all starts with Abraham and then all of his children's after that in Matthew 1. In Genesis 12, tells the story of the genealogy of Abraham. And then you've got, Matthew, you might not be convinced by this, check this one out. Matthew 1, 18 to 25, tells the story of a guy called Joseph, who is the son of Jacob and who has these prophetic dreams. Genesis 37, if you know the story, there's a guy called Joseph. He has these dreams. He's the son of Jacob. The stories are tracking. Matthew 2, these wise men come from afar to, to give gifts to Joseph's descendant, uh, to, to the family of Joseph. In the story of Genesis, nations travel from all over the place to Egypt to give gifts to Joseph and his family in order to receive things. Then in Matthew, Herod kills the infants. He kills the babies. In Exodus 1, Pharaoh kills the firstborn child, the firstborn sons in the same way. Matthew 2.14, Jesus is rescued. He avoids being killed as a young baby and flees to his people. Exodus 2 tells the story of Moses, how he is rescued and flees to his people. Matthew 2, 19 to 23 tells the story of how Jesus returns to his people. Uh, and then Exodus 3 and 4, Moses returns to his people. Matthew 3, John, who is the older relative, John the Baptist, he proclaims judgment brought by the younger relative, who is Jesus. He says, prepare the way. This is the one coming. This is judgment on you. And in Exodus, Aaron, who is the older relative of Moses, proclaims judgment. It says Moses is coming. He is the one who proclaims it. I'm going to keep going. Jesus baptized in the waters in Matthew. And then in Exodus, the people of Israel go through the waters and they are saved as the sea parts. Jesus is tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. Israel are tempted for 40 years in the wilderness in Exodus. In, in Matthew 4, Jesus then calls his people, his disciples, who will then go and help him. And in Exodus 18, Moses appoints judges to help him to rule and reign. In Matthew 5, Jesus begins to preach the first teaching block, the Sermon on the Mount. In Exodus 19 and through the rest of the law, the Torah is given on the Mount, Mount Sinai. And it is, there are five books of the law and there are five teaching blocks in Matthew. I mean, I don't, that's not a coincidence. 
This is all Matthew writing the book to make this point that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel, but it is also all God orchestrating the history of the world and the life of Jesus to make the point that he is the true and better Israel. It has all always been about him. Here's one more to, to finish it off because this one is amazing as well. Then you get to the end. I'll just bookend it. The end of Matthew uh, and the end. We've already seen the end of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it's 2 Chronicles 36 and it is King Cyrus saying, all authority is mine. It's kind of a fake authority, but he claims it. Then he says, go back to your land and rebuild the temple. How does Matthew end? And Jesus came to his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And who are the, what is the temple in the New Testament? It's the people of God. Go and build the temple. It is more than a coincidence. It is all to say that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the promised King, the promised Saviour that they have been waiting for. Many didn't realise it, but he was. Maybe you remain unconvinced, maybe unbothered. Well done, you geek. What does it mean to me? It is vital that we realise he was not just the Saviour of the people of first century Israel, though he was and is that. He's not just the king of the Jews, though he was and is that. He was and is the king of the world and all history and the saviour of all people, me and you included. All peoples blessed through him. One more observation in, in the genealogy which, which underlines this point that, that he is the saviour for all people. It certainly was not, you, you may have noticed, women in, in the genealogy. That was certainly not customary to include uh, women, but there are four here. And you think if there are going to be four in the genealogy, you'd expect who are commonly seen as the four matriarchs of the Hebrew people, the people of Israel, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Actually, we get four women who are all foreigners, and at least three of them have been associated with real scandal in their life as well. You've got Ruth, the Moabite, Arai's wife, Bathsheba, who's probably a Hittite, Tamar, the Canaanite, and Rahab, the sex worker from Jericho. These people are included in God's family. And God works redemption in all these women in, in beautiful ways, sometimes despite or even through their own sin, and sometimes despite and through what the sin had been committed against them. There are people who are international. So two things from this as I, as I come to a close from this little last observation. One is that the family of God was always international. This is not just for Israelites. It is for Israel, but it is for me and you as well. And the second one, no one in this family, no one is in this genealogy or in the people of God because they deserve to be in their own right. There are, I mean, so these women are associated with scandal, but there are a bunch of other really dodgy people in this list of names with Jacob, just a right rascal, Judah did some horrid stuff, Asa, Jehoram, bad kings. It's full of people who made errors. No one's there in their own right. And he is the king we need 
actually not to sort out everyone else as we often think, whether that's the Romans for them or for us, whatever problems we see in the world, with, to sort out other people. He did not come to save us from them. He came to save us from us. In Joseph's dream uh, that he has, Joseph, son of Jacob, which we'll look at more next week, he is, Joseph is told in his dream to name the baby that Mary will bear, to name him Jesus. Why? Because Jesus means saviour and it says in verse 21, because he will save his people from what? From their sins, from themselves. I, I know we've got technical, I, I, I want to portray what this passage is, is portraying in so many ways. And this gospel of Matthew is portraying that, that Jesus is the king we need. We need him. You and I are invited into his family, into his kingdom. However far off you might feel, you are no further than Rahab and Ruth were in their own time. Come to him and have your sins forgiven and find life. If you're, if you're a Christian, you've been walking with him for years, come to him again. Come to him. He is the king we need. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, he is the king that you need. He is the one you need. Come and find life. It's not some lame product, right? Like I started at the beginning. I see you're interested in church by the fact that you're here. Have you tried Jesus? It's not something that can add in. He is the one we really need. And he is the king we need as well. He is, he's not going to fit around you. I'm not saying this. He, he kind of, I'll come and do what you want. No, he, he calls us to come and bow down to him. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, he'll say in chapter 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. He is king of kings. He's not to be messed with. And yet he is gracious and compassionate. So come to him, give up your life to him and find life in him. Our greatest need, the greatest thing that we need is found through this great king we need.